It's turn up the lights, grab some popcorn, and watch some horrible horror movies. This is the Terrible Terror Podcast. Each episode, I delve into the world of terrible horror movies. Why do I do it? Well, can't explain it, but I love horrible horror movies. If you've made a horror movie on your phone or made your own special effects MacGyver style, please send it my way. This week, we're in for a treat with Ghoulies. Released March 2nd, 1985, it was directed by Luca uh, Bercovici, who is best known for 1994's Drop Zone with Wesley Snipes, 1990's Pacific Heights, and how could you not forget 1995's The Granny, which may or may not be a future episode. With an estimated budget of $1 million, this film actually managed to gross $35 million in the box office. I find that pretty amazing that this movie is, well... Uh, well, you understand more as we uh, move along. Uh, what surprises me more is that this film was released by MGM, who nowadays would release this film under a different production company, something like Orion, you know, how Disney's do that way back in the day. The film starts in the teeth of what it would gander be one of the ghoulies, though it looks more like some type of dire rat. You know, the rat, but dire. Then it sweeps into this room, where it looks like some sort of KKK meeting is going on with all the people in these white robes. Of course we know that it's some type of satanic cult, due to the fact that there's this big pentagram on the back wall. Oh, and there's some dude wearing a better robe than the others and some horns. What's weird about him is not the horns or the robe, or even the sacrificial altar, but it's his eyes. From the look of it, instead of having him wear some type of, like, contacts... His eyes have these superimposed green orbs on top of them. It's hard to explain, but they don't match his face too well, and they look really ridiculous and make him look cross-eyed. I mean, is this supposed to symbolize that he's evil? If he went to some, like, Satanist convention, would they not consider him to be part of the clique unless his eyes were green? Why does he need green eyes? Well, I guess I'll never know. While mesmerizing the group with his eyes, he keeps chanting some sort of incantation. I wonder if this is to keep the other people there enthralled. 
a guy comes up to the altar and sets something in a black blanket on the altar. Our horned friend pulls the top of the blanket and it's revealed that it's a baby that's going to be sacrificed. Seriously, we're less than two minutes into the movie and we're already killing a kid for some demon or aging god? It's not for that rat thing, is it? Well, I guess it's about the right size, but this is still way too early. So, horn guy raises his dagger up and is about to spill the baby's blood. Spill that baby blood on me, smack that baby, make him pay. Oh, sorry, inner ba- David Bowie came out. And then he's stopped by a woman in the room. She claims that he promised not to kill the child, so he takes off his horns and responds back to her. We're not really sure what he means by this, but now the kid has some sort of protection on him and the corn guy can't kill him anymore. I I never really got that. So the guy that brought up the child to the altar takes the child away and runs outside with him. Since the child's now gone and the woman was responsible for it not being sacrificed, she must now take the kid's place at the altar. Two of the ghoulies bite her hands and keep her on the ground while the horn guy starts to make her heart come out of her chest. It's an okay effect that I really wish we were able to see the actual heart come out, but instead we cut away from it the last second. Then we get this weird narration, which I assume is the guy who took the kid. The child had been saved, so it seemed. And I vowed that he would never know the evil from whence he was spawned. And when his father finally died a horrible death, I felt sure that the curse had passed forever. Wait, did I hear that right? That kid was the horn guy's son? Holy shit, why'd he want to kill his son? Was that his mother? Did she already take him on Mori and Mori did the guy wrong? Shit, now I'm the father. Guess I better kill him so I don't have to make those child payments. Thankfully, we find out what this is about later in the movie. Now we're going to flash forward many years into the future. We're given a tour of the grounds, showing these pretty nice looking angel statues and other... Oh, fuck me, not again. You know, last episode it was the boob iron. Now I get penis man. There's a statue in the garden, and I'm sure it wasn't meant to look like this, but come on. He has this, like, wave of air or, like, a scarf that whips from the front of his junk underneath, and it definitely looks like it's his dick being lumped over his shoulder. Really, movie? Really? (sighs) Well, after being shown Dick Boulder Holder statue, we're introduced to Jonathan, the baby I assume as an adult, and Rebecca, his girlfriend, wife, lover, whatever she is, is not really known, after he's inherited the house from his father. Hold up. So now the horn guy's house, he gets to have that? I guess it's a consolation prize for not being killed by your dad, who has never been in your life, that loser. They're both styled by Wolfgang, who is played by Jack Nance, best known for working with David Lynch. Supposedly, Wolfgang is the only person that Jonathan has known all his life, which leads me to believe that he was the guy who almost gave him up to the horn guy to be sacrificed. (laughs) What a nice guy he is. I mean, maybe he did have some second thoughts about killing that kid up after that lady who got killed spoke up, but God damn it, you almost allowed him to be killed. (sighs) Oh. Okay, well, we then cut back to the house where they're looking at all the books in the father's shelf. You read all these books? Dad? Yeah, I guess so. The Secret World of Magic? The Black Magic Ritual? The Grimoire of Abra 
Okay, so everything listed here is some type of black occult book. No way that my dad was evil at all. I mean, he was some sort of, like, eccentric dude, right? Yeah, that's the ticket. Looking around the inside of the house, I'd say the same thing, too. I mean, sure, there's a ton of pentagrams and goat heads. Hell, even the gravestone outside had an upside-down pentagram on it. No way that something bad could ever go wrong here. Well, after the creepy tour, which is not to be confused with the creepster tour, we'll get to that later, uh, Rebecca and Jonathan have shown finishing up their dinner. He's nose deep in a book about summoning, and she sighs that it's time to have a party at their house. Well, his house. Uh, of course, he gives in to her, and their friends come over to the place to party, or partay, as the kids would say. That's when we meet our first party idiots. They arrived on some sort of ATV, and we know that they are the party people because there's a six-pack of beer hanging from the rally flag on the back, and that one dude's wears those, like, hipster John Lennon sunglasses, and he never takes them off at any point in the film. We then get introduced to more of the party guests, such as Toad Boy. He sounds kind of like the villain from Grandma's Boy. We're also introduced to Robin, Donna, and my personal favorite, Dick, who introduces himself in the best way. They call me Dick, but you can call me Dick. Now, Dick looks like if Fred Willard and John Travolta had a love child, but he stayed in the 70s trying to be Travolta's character from Saturday Night Fever. He's supposed to be the sexy guy that everyone's after, but he looks way too old to be that type of guy. What happens after we meet the partygoers is nothing short of magical. What's the best way to keep the party going? If you said skitty dipping in the fountain, you'd be dead fucking wrong. Why, the best way is to have someone do some really, and I mean really, really shitty breakdancing. The dude is so slow and horrible, it's a masterpiece to watch. He even starts to drop all his weed and other drugs all over the dance floor in doing so. And then he has some stupid joke about almost hurting his head. The music, the crowd barely cheering him on, and the dancing make it for one magical sequence. Now, the party has died down at this point, and we find all of our characters together discussing what they should do next. Rebecca suggests hide-and-go-seek. Robin wants to play Trivial Pursuit, and Dick flashes a condom and suggests strip poker. Out of all of these suggestions, I gotta say that Dick might have some, uh, the right idea. You've already been drinking for quite a bit. Might as well get naked and have a good time. Well, Jonathan goes over to grab his beer, and wouldn't you know it, the Book of Summoning opens up right to the page for a ritual to summon a spirit. At his suggestion, he leads all his friends down to the basement and sets them up inside a circle of protection that he's drawn with chalk. Of course, no one believes him that he can actually conjure the spirit, but that doesn't stop Jonathan. Rebecca is curious to know how Jonathan knows how to do this exactly. must have read it in the book. That didn't take long. I mean, he's only been reading that book for maybe a couple of days or more. Who knows with the time in this movie. 
I'm sure he's got that conjuring shit packed down, right? Right? order thee to manifest thyself at once without injury to me or any other in this room come I order thee That was fun. So after all that wind and noise producing absolutely nothing, Robin seems to have disappeared from the group. Worried about where she is, the group starts to leave, but Jonathan wants to dismiss the spirit before they do. No, no, wait, I, I need to dismiss the spirit. So do I. Where's the bathroom? <laughs> do we get like a rim shot? Anything for that one? Nope, fellas? All right. Well, this prompts some sort of shin in, in Wolfgang that alerts him to Jonathan's conjuring. But nothing really goes past that point. I mean, he doesn't show up. He doesn't come over. Doesn't give him a phone call. Nothing. Not sure why we're shown that other than to give Wolfgang more screen time, I guess. Is he actually on the property or is this somewhere else? Well, we really never know. Now, so the hunt for Robin is now on. Who will find her first? Will it be the party dudes? Nope. They just find this like creepy clown thing in one of the rooms. There's a decent jump scare here with a clown coming out of the closet, but that's about it. And they flash back to where he was originally sitting in the chair, and you're like supposed to be spooked out or something. Uh, outside, Robin is actually found looking at the gravestone outside the house in kind of a haze. Both Jonathan and Dick bring her back to the house, and we cut to the next day. Jonathan is so enamored by the house that he tells Rebecca that he's decided to quit school for the semester and use the time to clean up the house. She gets naturally pissed, but ultimately gives in and allows him to spend all his time there. Man, the life of a college student that's inherited an old creepy house from his crazy Satanist dad. How I'd love to be that guy. I'd get to do one of my dreams. You know, a cleaning montage. Also is known as throwing shit in the basement. What else do you plan to do with all those goat heads and pantograms littering the house? Wait a minute, didn't they have to clean that place to throw a party? They wouldn't have had to clean it up afterwards too, right? Are you telling me that these people lived in filth of an after party until he decided to actually clean it? Um, Rebecca better watch your back. So at the end of this montage, Jonathan is shown cleaning the window when he's suddenly brought into a trance by his own wiping motions. The narrator steps back in and gives us a clue to what's going on. And so it had begun. The evil one willing the boy on, using the boy's curiosity as a powerful weapon. I could but sit and wait, gripped by the fear of events foreshadowed. So, at this point, Jonathan finds his father's old conjuring robes and wonders, Hmm, will this look good on me? 
Are we going to have a clothes trying on montage next? I sure hope so. Well, no, I swear that Jonathan went from clean to creepster in like 2.5 seconds. One moment it was all about the clean. Then it became all about the black arts. Make up your mind, dude. There's a couple more scenes of him in the basement, including cleaning what looks like a coin, but turns out to be some sort of talisman. Rebecca comes home and is proud of him for the one room that he actually cleaned. Like, literally, he shows her just one room. He gives her the talisman, which is some sort of protection talisman, which, I guess, makes the one non-evil thing in the house. Well, you then see Jonathan outside, staring at a gravestone late at night, when suddenly Rebecca walks up, asking him to come inside for dinner. Dinner. No, I'm not eating. Why not? I'm, uh, I'm fasting. Sure, let's accept that as truth and just move on. He's slowly becoming what I like to call Spider-Man 3 Jonathan, with his hair becoming a little darker, skin a little palier, and his lack of hunger, but not dance moves. She leaves him, and then we get to see Jonathan dressed up like dear old dad once again, trying to conjure up the old spirits. How does she not hear him outside? I'll never know, as he's really quite loud. Lo and behold, we finally get to see the ghouls again in all their shitty puppet glory. I mean, these are the worst puppets I've ever seen on screen since, well, Puppet Master. And those were meant to be actual puppets. One of them can't even come into full view because it gets stopped by this spider webbing outside. I mean, it might have been an effect but at least make it so that your little puppets can push through it. Jonathan then lets the ghouls know exactly who's boss. You may roam about the grounds, but you must remain invisible to all but me. Remain obedient to me at all times. The ghoulies all agree in the same way to morning. We're now inside the basement and what the fuck? Where did all this fog come from? And shit, Jonathan's gone full warlock. You never go full warlock. Seriously, though, there's candles everywhere, the walls are covered in red velvet, and now there's some goddamn fog everywhere. It's not even coming from, like, a cauldron or a sewer grate. It's just there. Well, his eyes have now also begun to glow that superimposed green that John's dad did. Jonathan calls on the earth, wind, fire, and water. If he'd only called for heart as well, Captain Planet may have come out and knocked some sense into him. As he's casting, the ghoulies watch intensely, or maybe they're scared, or happy, or sad. I really can't tell with these puppet faces. Then, it starts to rain in the basin, surprisingly not burning out a single candle. Then, as the rain dissipates, Jonathan gets caught in the act. Indeed you are. Rebecca runs upstairs and Jonathan follows her. He has this look on his face like, These demons mean nothing to me, I swear. I can change. While he tries to talk to her, she's got her frying pan in her hand ready to... Make dinner? Okay. Well, Rebecca then asks Jonathan, What's going on? What the hell's going on here, Jonathan? You tell me that you want to drop out of school so that you can fix up the house. Right? So I come home, and I find you in the middle of I don't even know what. 
Trying not to choke a bitch, Jonathan eases her mind and says that he will not to try to do any more of that weird stuff doing. You can tell the entire time that he's itching some for some of that sweet, sweet black magic. Come on, baby. Just one more conjured spirit and I swear I'll quit. They decide to call a night and go upstairs. Finally, some sort of hot, sexy, uh, okay, Mr. No Nips. How's this supposed to be sexy? I mean, I know I shouldn't be judging a dude's nipples, but come on. They're like itty-bitty mosquito bites. Hell, even mosquito bites are bigger than yours. At least Rebecca's gonna go get out of her night... No, nothing? Come on, movie, at least give me a smidgen of TNA. You hinted at it with dick and now I get nothing? Not to mention you have the worst sex music of all time going on in the background. How is that sexy? It's all, like, bouncy and joyous, not hot and heavy, and hell, the ghoulies are there. Are they going to join in too? Sure, why not? Maybe they can suck on her toes while he goes to town. Well, while he's getting everything going, Jonathan actually starts casting a spell, which prompts her to get the fuck out of there. You bastard. Becky. No, that's it. I've had it. Listen. No, you listen to me. I've had it with your black magic, your rituals, your lies, everything. Goodbye, Jonathan. So instead of chasing after, what does he do? Why, summon some imps, of course. I swear to God, one of these films needs to do something right with their male leads at some point. So these imps that were summoned, they are more servants for Jonathan, though they had a previous master before. So he's brought them there so that he can gain even more power. But to pledge their allegiance to him and show him their power, he makes them float a glass of wine into the circle they were summoned. See, he tells them that he's going to destroy them if they can't bring it into the circle themselves to prove their power. Now, I swear I'm not making any of this up. You know, in all of this time, he has that funky cross-eyed green shit in his eyes. So, the next morning, Rebecca makes a reappearance to return the talisman to Jonathan and ask him to leave with her. He replies that he can't, and now the talisman is no longer on him, he's able to turn his eyes green and take control of her. This way, he can make her love him against her will. Well, you know, if you could do that earlier, why didn't you do it last night? Just rip the fucking shit off, glow your eyes green, and then fucking go to town. <sighs> But I digress. We're then treated to the third and final narration of the film. The evil one had him now. The things that would be leashed that night were to be horrific. And I was powerless to stop it. We open upon everyone from earlier in the film now sitting down at dinner, wearing these weird sunglasses. Dick, of course, is the first to put out why are they wearing them. Tell me, why are we wearing these ridiculous glasses? I can barely see what I'm eating. It's all part of the evening I have planned. As Jonathan makes a toast to the group, the ghoulies start to pop out of the food on the table. One pops out of the chicken, or turkey, or who gives a shit, and one drools on some food. We get to watch the last one eat a tomato. I guess that fruit was soft enough for one of the puppets to eat, and it's very unappealing. Jonathan, during the toast, 
begins to cast a spell that puts them all into a trance. There's this weird inverted color shift to show the table disappearing, and it's really jarring. I mean, I would rather just have the table pop away instead. Jonathan orders Rebecca to get his robes while he dresses the rest of the group in the same white robes that we saw at the beginning of the movie. At this point, Jonathan goes full He-Man. It's so much that not only his eyes are green, but his mouth is now glowing blue. As he begins to cast his spell, the gravestone starts popping up, showing the name Malcolm. Then all the group screams in unison along with the imps and the ghoulies. Malcolm then bursts through the ground in a pretty good pup effect and slowly becomes a whole zombie as they continue to scream. After Malcolm, who is Jonathan's dad and also the horn guy from the beginning of the movie, comes back from the dead, it cuts to the dining room where everyone awakens from their trance. Then there's some kind of funny comic relief moment that you can see coming from a mile away as the guy with the John Lennon glasses takes off the ones given to him to reveal his john lennon glasses that were underneath the steampunk ones that he was wearing dick look like looks like he's gonna get banged by robin and outside we see malcolm talking with the ghoulies meanwhile by the fountain donna now squeezed toad boy are playing around donna drops her bracelet into the water and asks toad boy to grab it when he does one of the ghoulies grabs him then starts gnawing on his face others pop from the water and begin to smile while she just stands there an idiot and screams this is one of the worst horror movie screams I have ever heard. Yeah, man, that chick is really a screamer. <laughs> no party, dude. She's totally not. It then cuts to Dick and Robin in the room and... What the fuck? I don't even get to see them? You piece of shit. <sighs> This is ridiculous. So, Dick becomes thirsty and leaves Robin by herself to go get some water. He comes downstairs and he runs into Malcolm, though he's transformed in some type of, like, busted-ass cougar. Who are you? Come here. No doubt about it. Malcolm then wraps his tongue around Dick's neck and chokes the bitch out, giving him a new meaning to the term, necking. Eh? Eh? <laughs> well, that's what you get for not letting me see Robin's boobs, asshole. Alright, so then it cuts to the party, dudes trying to light up their joint outside. Since neither of them can find a match, it's up to John Lennon glasses to go inside and find a new one. He gets knocked out by one of the imps and dragged outside. They manage to knock out a ghoulie at the same time, but one of the imps doesn't really want to do Malcolm's bidding anymore, but he's reminded of his place. Malcolm is the master blasted soul. He always has been and will be until you rot. No, it is not so. I cannot do this thing. I cannot. Oh, 
Well, then the other party dude looks for John Lennon glasses and thinks he sees him in a corner smoking the joint that they were supposed to share. When he approaches him for not sharing, the figure turns around, and it's actually the two imps on top of each other, dressed up like the uh, John Lennon glasses. They toss the ghoulie they captured, and it gnaws on the other party dude. Next, it cuts to Robin. We see her upstairs, and that's when the clown from the Miller movie attacks her, and it starts bleeding green goo from its eyes. It turns out that there's ghoulie under the mask, and then it kills her. While all this is going on, Jonathan has put Rebecca to sleep and placed the talisman back on her to protect her from these attacks. He sits at the corner of the room in a trance with his eyes still glowing green. The ghoulies start to play the piano. Let me tell you, they play a mean piano. That makes all the dead bodies move towards Malcolm, who is now in the basement. We also get one more of the iconic scenes in the movie with the ghoulie popping up from the toilet, though in this one he's not killing anyone. Rebecca waits from her trance and starts to leave the room after seeing Jonathan stuck in his vegetative state. Outside, she runs into Robin's slithering corpse and screams, which awakens Jonathan. The talisman then starts to glow, which prompts Rebecca to take it off. Seriously, did it glow hot, or did she just no longer feel like wearing it? When she rips it off, the ghoulies come and knock her off balance, send her flying down the stairs to her doom. Jonathan grabs her, thinking he can bring her back to life if he just takes her to the basement. When he goes downstairs, he finds all his dead friends back in the corner and his father, Malcolm, waiting for him. In this instant, it's like he loses all of his powers to his father. We learn that the reason that Jonathan was going to be sacrificed was so that Malcolm could steal his youth back from him. You're telling me that your son was the only way that you could gain your youth back? What fucked up is that? Well, Malcolm tries to cast spells on Jonathan, but he managed to survive most of what's being thrown at him. The imps look like they want Jonathan to win, but Malcolm is just too strong. Malcolm explains to Jonathan that he will never be as powerful as he is. Chosen in another time, another place, I could have loved you as my son. fucking cliche oh hey you love someone shall you never be fully evil and powerful fucking hey i bet the next level will also be saving this day too that's where you go wouldn't you stupid fucking movie well malcolm brings back rebecca to life and try to chap trap jonathan into giving his life force to malcolm see there's that fucking love bullshit so right before jonathan is gonna kiss rebecca the imps warn him that it's a trap and he pushes Rebecca out of the way. Malcolm, furious that it didn't work, corners Jonathan and goes full creepster. You are my life! And I will have my life! Kiss me, my son. What? Surely the only way you can get his youth is by making out with your son. I'm pretty sure that that isn't true at all. I'm pretty sure that's one of those jokes that Satan plays on warlocks trying to be younger. <laughs> hey guys, listen to this. I'm going to tell them that they must kiss the person to suck the life from them. 
It's going to be so fucking hilarious when somebody actually does it. Well, while Malcolm goes in for the final kiss of death, who shows up to save the day? None other than Wolfgang. Where the fuck have you been? Shin in my ass. Did it take him that long to make it here? And that voice. Ah, goddammit, you're the narrator that said he couldn't save him. What the fuck? Now you're going to duel Malcolm? And how? With a shitty eye light show while you choke the shit out of each other? So this battle of meager proportions happens. The room shakes. Wolfgang tells them to leave. But they don't until both of them disappear. And Malcolm's been defeated. I guess. Yay. So they start to finally run out. And lo and behold, their friends have also come back from the dead. All of them race to their cars outside. Jonathan shoves John Lennon glasses into his Jeep and they all speed off. They drive down the road with John Lennon glasses being confused about what happened back there. Rebecca delivers the final question we've all been wondering. Would somebody mind telling me what the hell is going on? It's a long story, Mike. It's over now. Oh, fuck, the ghoulies are in the back seat. And that, my friend, was ghoulies. I'm not sure what to think about this one. While it is a bad film, it does have some fun moments, but things are so predictable it hurts. The plot is pretty non-existent. Hell, the middle of this film could be thrown out and no one would care. It's like they need an extra 30 minutes of filler to get to the good stuff at the end of the movie. The final battle, if you can call it that, is so lame and short that it totally ruins the fun of this movie. The fact that everyone dies, but is brought back to life is also a huge cop-out too. Even the ghoulies popping up at the end is so goddamn cliché. I'd give the crap factor of this movie a 4 out of 5. The gore factor is a 1.5 out of 5. And the fun factor is a 2 out of 5. Overall, ghoulies gets a 2.5 superimposed green eyes out of 5. Do I recommend you see this movie? Sure, it's worth a watch, just expect it to drag a bit in the middle of the film. So next week, we're going to be taking a look at this trauma classic. You're the manager. You know it. Give me a job. I'm a high school graduate just just trying to make his way in this topsy-turvy world. My life sucks. And my one true love? I'll stay true to you. It'll never change me. Uh I promise. You're the left-wing, lipstick, lesbo liberal. Ah, Wendy! Arby's? You said you'd never change, but but here you are. You're just bumping tacos. You're hired. Well, what do I do? You're the counter girl. You fool! This restaurant is built on ancient trauma hook tribe sacred Indian burial grounds. Get out while you still can. Get out! Save yourself! Save yourself! Um, I'll have the sloppy Jose Valgamil. Good morning, Tromaville. Me will never rest while big business tramples over the rich history and culture of the Native Americans while simultaneously slaughtering countless innocent chickens. 
General? What are these tiny little bumps all over my chicken? Those are uh, our new flavor pods. atrocities american chicken bunker performs on the chickens that you serve to the ignorant masses we produce only high quality chicken flavored foodstuffs and now the most important part the secret zest sauce every leg every thigh is fresh tasty and oh my god my ass Very slowly approaching the entrance. They'll break through faster than the five minutes it took me to turn Wendy into a full-blown lesbian. Damn it. Well, we need action before they turn the glass into lesbians. declared jihad on us all. <laughs> That's right. It's going to be Poultrygeist. It's currently available from Trauma Films on YouTube, so if you want to watch it uh, before the next review in the next podcast. All right, so thank you all for listening. You can always follow the podcast on Twitter at T underscore T underscore podcast. Any movie ideas you have can be sent to terribleterrorpodcast at gmail.com. You can always also contact me directly on my Twitter, which is T00LBERT. Uh, and also, uh, every other week, I do a podcast with a uh, friend of mine uh, that is uh, It Be Like That, and that's available every other week. I know I said before, next week, it's actually going to be in two weeks that we will do uh, poultry geist so thanks everybody for listening also you can find us on uh, facebook as well uh, thank you for listening and goodbye